welcome to Dissident Daughters Podcast. I almost forgot the name of my podcast. <laughs> off to a it's, good start. Yes, off to a great start. Um, it's been a couple weeks since I recorded, uh, and today I have a special guest. So this person with me here, she's going to go by Rhoda. Yes. Because that's her temple name, and yes. she wants to be just like me. <laughs> just want to be like you. <laughs> So we just have gotten to know each other over the last month or so. She reached out to me and when I asked for people who wanted to be interviewed and tell their story, she reached out to me and I'm so glad you did. And we just got back from a fabulous lunch. And a two hour lunch. A two hour lunch. <laughs> um, so just buckle up because, you know, we might talk a lot. <laughs> we can talk for a long time. Apparently. We are drunk on soda. <laughs> It doesn't take alcohol to get us <laughs> chatty, right? No. Oh, goodness. So she has a really fascinating story, you guys. I am really excited for you guys to hear her story. And I bet it's not that unique. And the reason why I say that is because when she told me um, kind of a little bit about her story, I just resonated with so much of it. And I've experienced a lot of the same things. And I think we're not alone. I think there's so many people. So I'm going to let her kind of start from wherever she wants to start and tell her story. Go ahead. All right. I'll take it away. Um, <laughs> so, yes. So I'm going to go by Rhoda, um, which was my temple name because I did go through the temple many years ago. Um, and honestly, I reached out because my husband actually was telling me I should, honestly. <laughs> I don't know if I would have otherwise. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, obviously knows my story and knows what's happened over the past couple of years. And he encouraged me to, to reach out. So I did. And what I kind of decided on this was it's a hard story to tell in some ways because it is about the, um, LGBT, LGBTQ plus community, Mm -hmm. but it's a part of, it's a kind of a story that not a lot of people can talk about because, why there's a lot of people coming out maybe about their own stories of coming out or if parents have sons or daughters children yeah yeah that are coming out into the uh, queer community um you hear more stories of, of those but my story it really hasn't been told and it's it's complicated because it involves other people and that's kind of why I decided to to reach out because it's not about it's actually not a ton about me um it's more about when my dad, my dad came out. So my dad came out um, about two years ago. And so this really is going to be a lot about how this has affected my life, mm-hmm. affected my family's life. Yeah. Um, my parents have been lifelong members. And it's something that he kept very close and hidden for decades, yep. you know, 50 plus years. So I wanted to kind of shine a light on how the Mormon church and its teachings have not just, they have done so much damage to the queer community. And they continue to do that. And so I wanted to kind of talk about that. And it has a ripple effect into the families. It does. Because what they were taught to do affected their their entire lives, whoever Mm -hmm. they decided to marry and you know, as they stayed in the closet that whole time. Mm-hmm. So yes, that's that's really at the root of it all, right? Mm-hmm. Is just how much 
there is a ripple effect. It's not just that one person who's queer that it affected who, and it's terrible for them because they've had to stay in the closet their whole lives, all this stuff, but there is an absolute terrible ripple effect. And it's something that honestly, I think I will probably be dealing with for the rest of my life. It will, it'll affect my family for the rest of our life. I mean, it is, it's, it's a generational thing. It's something that in the end has made, both my mom and my dad, collateral damage mm-hmm. to a church that is not friendly to anybody who could be gay or bisexual or transgender or any of those things. And yep. they are left to make really, really hard choices mm-hmm. ab- about what they do with their lives. And some people, and I think nowadays, people are becoming more more okay with coming out and telling mm-hmm. their stories but you have to realize, too, that for my dad, who grew up in, he was born in the 50s. Yeah. Not only was it, like, a church issue, but it was a society issue as well. Yeah. So this is something that even people outside of the church at the time, I think, were also making oh, yeah. choices of getting married to and, and living a life of being a heterosexual. Yeah. And so that's something that I think more people are getting better at, but the church hasn't really changed a whole lot. Like, right. They may say they are. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. some lip service there. Yeah. But I think when you really look at what's being said and what's still being said, um, there's still a lot of issues there. There's a lot of harm still being done. Yes. And because it's been such a long-term thing, this has been going on since, you know, the beginning of the church, but like in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. and 70s, they really started being vocal yeah. about the gay issues. And so, you know, for decades, mm-hmm. this rhetoric that they've been spouting off mm-hmm. about queer people mm-hmm has affected generations of people. And so it's almost like the undoing of that is going to take an insane amount of time. Well, I don't know if you ever remember, like I remember hearing this like in Young Women's about how like if you take the tube tube of toothpaste and let's say you like you get it all out of the toothpaste, right? Let's mm-hmm. you know what people say. Like, and they're trying to be like, oh, if you gossip or oh, whatever. Yes, right? and then you can't put it you back in. You can't put it back in. Well, yes. this is the church too. Like, they have said all of these things and it's there. It's it's out there for people to find. It's not that hard to find. <laughs> yeah. And they're trying to maybe do some damage control, right? Mm-hmm. But they can never put that all back. And I don't think they really want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they do either. I think they're almost like, well, I especially feel this from Nelson and Oaks, is that uh-huh. they're digging in their heels harder. Yeah. Yes. Like, we are not going to change this right. thing. We are not going to bend right. to society. Right. That, I feel like those two have that problem more than any of them. But Maybe they don't ben have a problem too. being like, hey, look, our Morbid Tabernacle Choir sing with the gay San Francisco choir. They don't oh have a problem with gosh. that kind of PR. Yeah, I actually didn't even, I didn't remember that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, and maybe somehow that makes them think they're being inclusive. Right. What the hell? <laughs> they don't get any credit for that. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> they don't. No, but, you know, this is something for me. Um, you know, this came out about two years ago for me. And it's honestly has been something I haven't, I haven't been able to talk to. Like, I haven't been able to talk to anybody about it because I think the difference for me versus other people is, you know, I really haven't been able to say anything because it's not really my story in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's not about me coming out. <clears throat> um, and it's not about, like, a child coming out. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is a parent. Yeah. Um, 
and they have their whole lives, mm-hmm. their friends, their colleagues, yep. their coworkers, mm-hmm. their jobs they have to worry about, mm-hmm. their, you know, whatever. And they have a lot of reasons for why they stayed in the closet. Right. And so it's not like it's it's okay for us to just out them to the world. Right. So no. It's, it gets really tricky. Yeah. And that's why I think, like, when my husband and I were talking about this, I really wanted to kind of focus more on the effects that it's had mm-hmm. since he's come out. Um, yeah. Because, I'm sorry, it's kind of a mind fuck when yeah. your parent comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of emotions that you go through. And yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of grief. Yeah. Um, and I will get all into that. Yeah. There's a lot of questioning, like, everything in your whole life. What else did I not know about? How do you trust somebody when you have... I think that was one of my biggest things when this all first came out. And I would sit there and kind of be like, how do you go back to trusting someone? If someone that you have known your entire life, who was taking care of you, who was responsible for you, who... Mm -hmm. All of these things. And they've kept such a big part of their lives Mm -hmm. locked away. How do you how do you learn to trust people? Yeah, it's still a betrayal. Mm-hmm. Even though you have compassion for yeah. why he kept it a secret, it's still you were still betrayed. You were still lied to. It was still it's hard. Yeah. So and especially because for me, and I think a lot of people can understand this, I grew up in a household, uh my parents were we were active members. Like mm-hmm. We went to church. Rarely a Sunday we didn't go. Like mm-hmm. unless we were like sick or on vacation. We were not the we were not the family that would go on vacation and go to church. <laughs> <laughs> Thank the Lord for that. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, we were pretty much always and if we didn't go to church and if they knew we were sick or whatever, like mm-hmm. we had consequences for that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they were very active. They held various callings in, mm-hmm. like, their local wards and in their stake levels. Um, but I think part of what I kind of struggled with was my dad was really the – he was the enforcer. He was the religious enforcer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was the one between my mom and my dad who really put that pressure on – you had to go to church. It was early morning seminary for me. I mm-hmm. was not like these – kids who get to like do it during school do it during school yeah <laughs> yeah I was up very early for it and if I didn't go I didn't get my car that day oh so yeah <laughs> yeah no seminary no car and so um and and I was growing and I lived in Idaho at the time and so I could actually get my license very early oh so I had it um the end of my freshman year in high school and mm-hmm. so that was a big thing like I wanted to have my car we had to, you know, we kept the Sabbath day holy. We really didn't do anything. We'd go to church and we'd come home for the rest of the day. And a lot of that, you know, and that was a lot of from my dad. Um, the expectations were very high pressure and mm-hmm. a lot of those were from my dad. You know, when when I went to college and I eventually met my husband, when we got engaged, his, my dad's first question to him was, well, is this going to be a temple marriage? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, and I should also tell people that you're the oldest you're the first daughter right (laughs) i'm the the oldest oldest in your family and i swear that matters because parents are usually the hardest on Mm -hmm. their first kid of like making sure because you have to be the example to your younger siblings yes you also have to it's like 
your parent it's it's a reflection of your parents if you make bad decisions right yes and parents in the church very much feel this so so he's putting on the pressure mm-hmm. to be perfect to do all the things mm-hmm. correctly to mm-hmm. check all the boxes right go to young women's go to yeah. mutual and and this was kind of in between of doing everything else i mean i worked a part-time job i played several varsity sports um i did several musical instruments so mm-hmm. on top of your kind of normal teenage stuff you know, I also had the extra burden of making sure I was keeping up with all the church stuff as well. Yeah. We, you know, we were here to miss on family home evening and scripture study, but, you know, the, I served in various presidencies, Beehive presidency. I think I was the, either the My Maid or the Laurel president, which, you know, that was, you didn't say no to those callings. Oh, and yeah. I was super busy. <laughs> yeah. Did you also, like, feel special? Like, that you got called to those callings? Actually, the funny thing, when I got called, I felt like, because I was complaining about the mutual activities. Oh. And I don't know if someone overheard me. (laughs) Or maybe it was my dad. I don't know. Maybe he said something. But I very shortly after that got called. (laughs) And I remember my dad being like, well, here's your chance to change it. And I tell you, I did some fun ones. You did change it. Yes. Because I was... The sporty kind of tomboy in a lot yeah. of ways. And like, and so I didn't, I, I wanted to do the sports. I want, let's go play kickball outside. Let's go, yeah. let's go do some other things. Like, yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I felt special, but I kind of felt called out a little bit. Ah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I felt special. I was the beehive president. Ooh. I must, I thought to myself, I must be the most spiritual girl in the whole Living so righteously. beehive class. Yes. <laughs> I was just living right. So, and they, they had the spirit of discernment because of they knew that I was the most spiritual. So they called me. Anyways, <laughs> I'm it's, such a brat. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, you know, and we were at the time in a small town. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there was even that extra pressure of, it's not like you could kind of be anonymous. Yeah. Like, did everybody know everybody kind of a thing? Or yeah. Everybody's not, in everybody's business a little bit? Not quite. You know, we weren't like as small as that, but the town was about 8,000 people. So, okay. It's it, it's small enough that you definitely like will run into like all mm-hmm. the people you know at the grocery store, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a Mormon. It was Idaho, but it was not a Mormon dominated okay area. Yeah. But there was still a fair amount there. I think I think about between ten to fifteen percent of my high school um, was probably LDS. Okay, um, yeah, that's actually not that much. I'm surprised for Idaho. I yeah. still thought Idaho was pretty heavily Mormon populated maybe in certain areas yeah the farther you get away from the Utah border I ah. think and then and we were not by the Utah border yeah. um and so I think the farther you get away from it it's still there but it's not not as much not as much yeah. no but you know he I think and that's where they served in a lot of state callings yeah so I think there was definitely kind of that level of showing showing that you know we were we were the perfect family. <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and being the oldest, you have that, just the pressure in general of, mm-hmm. of having that. And then being, I think, part of a high demand religion, mm-hmm. there was high demand at church and there was high demand at home as well. Mm-hmm. And there was, so I had a lot of perfection issues and a lot of avoidance issues too. If I didn't, mm. if I didn't think I could do it and excel at it, I didn't try. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I didn't want to fail. Right. <laughs> yeah. So if it was something that I didn't think I could do, I just avoided it. Hmm. Um, 
But and that like protected you from failure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Failure was really not an option. Yeah. And and honestly, I even growing up, I had some issues with church history and church doctrine. Okay. Um, like. But the first one I remember is polygamy. Yes. Uh, right? Yes. And I don't even remember how old I was when I learned about it. I was probably middle school or high school. Okay. And I remember I remember learning about it. And I just remember feeling like this just doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand how this is an eternal principle. Mm-hmm. And reading in the Doctrine and Covenants and reading how, like, Emma Smith was treated in it. And I just, I even, I didn't really understand it. I didn't really have the words for it at the time. But I was like, I just don't feel like this fits. Like, this doesn't fit the rest of the Doctrine and Covenants or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. why Why is this something that she's going to be, like, killed over? <laughs> oh, yeah. They came down hard on her. Did. Yeah. You know, but, and and then because I think she reluctantly agreed because, you know, her life is threatened. Mm-hmm. She, in a lot of ways, has, like, a blemished reputation mm-hmm. because she does what, either, either people think she was fully on board mm-hmm. or they think she was, like, the downfall of Joseph Smith, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Brigham Young surely believed that. Yes. Brigham Young and her did not get along because she was... Well, in my opinion, like a strong and powerful woman who yeah. spoke up and who was not okay right. with the bullshit that was going on. Right. And so when she spoke up, Brigham Young thought she was a terrible. Right. You know, she was not doing her womanly duty. She was a meek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was my first one. Um, I also was very much, I think because I was more of a tomboy, I didn't like the pa- the patriarchy. Patriarchy. Yes, patriarchy. <laughs> I didn't like it. I just... And I don't feel like it was, like, super dominant in my home. My mom worked. You know, I think my dad actually did a lot of, dude, like, he did a lot of stuff at home. He did like a lot. Domestic yeah, things. Yeah, he cleaned, the, he cooked. The rules weren't, yeah. or the roles weren't so defined. No, and I think because my mom worked, and because um, she worked in healthcare and worked odd hours, he, did, mm. he didn't always have a choice. I don't yeah. know. But, you know, he likes to cook. He likes to bake. He does those kinds of things. So I didn't feel it so much at home, but at church you would you would see it and feel it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. But I think even though I kind of I kind of had those questions, I, I really didn't take it very seriously. I really yeah. just kind of put it on the shelf. Just kind of, it is what it is. I'll figure it out later, right? Like they're like how they yeah. talk about it. We'll all know later. Like mm-hmm. we'll all, when we die, it'll all make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't think too much about it. But then I graduated high school, went to college, eventually got married, and eventually had my daughter. And I think when she was a baby, that was pretty significant time for me. A lot of, I think I was, I wasn't working at the time. Like I was on my maternity leave. Mm-hmm. So I was home and there was a lot going on with Kate Kelly and oh. uh, John DeLynn. Okay. And the ordained women. And I was kind of listening to some of John DeLynn's stuff on Mormon stories. Oh, and, really? Well, and okay. I think that was more when he was kind of... He was talking just, you know, he was still a member of the church. Yeah. And I think he was still coming from it from more of a perspective of just wanting to learn. Just yeah. education. Like He was definitely still being or trying to be faithful yeah. in his answers and stuff, mm-hmm. but still, like, dealing with some hard things. Yeah. So I remember the first time I even heard about John DeLynn was from somebody who said, like, oh, he's an apostate. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was, like, maybe only... 
six months or so before he got excommunicated mm-hmm. that I even heard his name. So I was aware that he was a podcaster mm-hmm. and I was aware that he was going apostate mm-hmm. I'm using air quotes and that he was, he was being excommunicated for it. Yeah. And that's it. Like I would have never listened. Mm-hmm. I never would have searched him out and listened to his podcast just based on the information that I heard. So how did you hear about him first? And did you think like, were you afraid to listen to him or no? I don't even remember how I stumbled upon him. Cause this was, so this was 2013. So this was before you could like pull it up on your phone. Like you had oh, to be like yeah. on your computer, like yeah, to, yeah, look, yeah. to listen. Okay. So I honestly don't remember. I don't, I must've been searching for something. I was, you know, I was listening, I found him and I think I found Feminist Mormon Housewives or Mormon oh, Feminist Housewives. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I love Feminist Mormon Housewives. Yes. yes. I think I was kind of looking, I was looking to see, does someone like me fit in the church? Oh, like, okay. Because I wasn't, you know, I I didn't want to, I didn't have these aspirations of having like the nine kids yeah. and staying home. And we'd actually been married for a long time before we even had our, our daughter and, um, I didn't really feel like I fit in because I was much more of a feminist mindset mm. and more of a liberal mindset. And I didn't really feel like I fit in. Yeah. So I think what I was probably looking for in this time frame was just like, does someone like me fit in the church? And yeah. how do they fit in the church? So I think that's why I kind of gravitated towards people like ordained women. Even yeah. I had zero, I didn't want the priesthood. Yeah. <laughs> but, but did you agree with her mission or like what yeah. she was doing? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I... Very quickly, I was like, well, I don't want the priesthood. However, yeah. I have friends and family members that are divorced that mm. don't have a priesthood holder <laughs> yeah. in the house. Mm-hmm. And I feel for them that if they want a priesthood blessing or whatever, they have to go, or if their kids need one, yeah, they have to bring someone from the outside in. And yeah. if you're sometimes maybe dealing with very sensitive issues, that's yeah. really hard to do. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't, I don't see why this is a problem. Why can women not give blessings of healing i mean yeah. we talk so much about how like the church talks about how like women are so you know nurturing and yeah. so you know and it's like why why would it not make sense that they couldn't give blessings of healing mm-hmm. if they're supposed to be so intuitive and in tune and part of their families why would they be able to yeah you know and so um I, so i gravitated towards that and i gravitated i think because i with the mormon stories because I was just kind of interested in listening a little bit about the history and hmm. that's kind of what he was more into. And I just kind of found it interesting. And did you find the, um, year of polygamy podcast when you, I'm trying to think when she started that it probably wasn't that early. I don't remember when she started it. I didn't actually, actually my husband was the one that introduced me oh, to that. Okay. Cause but she was recently the feminist Mormon housewives. Yes. That was, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I put two and two together. Like, yeah, until recently, actually, I've been like oh, listening to her stuff right now. Oh, <laughs> I freaking love the year. It's interesting. Woo. Yeah, no, yeah. my husband loves it. Like, and he's like, you need to listen to. This. Yeah, so that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I one thing that I find super interesting is that that long ago, mm-hmm. you were having these thoughts mm-hmm. and thinking you the the empathy and compassion that it takes for you. To look outside of yourself and say, I personally don't want the priesthood, but I think that other people should be able to have it because of this and this and this circumstance. Right. I wish that I had been more like that because at that stage of my life, I was like, well, sucks to be you. <laughs> I mean, I literally had... Should have married better. Yeah, right. 
Like, I had no empathy. Yeah. I was an asshole. I just thought, well, there's just one way to do this. Right. And if you don't do it that way, that's wrong. I remember thinking that Kate Kelly is wrong yeah. for pressuring the brethren to do something. Sure. And they talk to God. And so who is she to say what they should do? Right. Like, I I was not in that space at that yeah. time. So I'm really impressed that you felt that way. And I'm sure there's others too. But, like, that's one of the things I'm the most ashamed of is just what an asshole I was. <laughs> I really was. Very black and white thinking. No compassion for people who were... But why should you have compassion when you grow up with a church that doesn't have compassion for those that are different? Totally. Why, why should you? Yeah, totally. I mean... So I was I was a better Mormon than you. Is that what you're saying? You were. <laughs> you were... I bet you got all of the front row parking, like at the grocery store. <laughs> Yeah, I was living my religion perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> but That's I, embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> but I was searching for that, and I yeah. think for me, when because I think Kate Kelly got excommunicated first, and okay. I remember when she got excommunicated, and then shortly after John Delin did, um, that felt very significant to me. Mm. And but like I would go to church, and I was like expecting to hear about them. I heard nothing. Nobody no. talked about them. No, Not my but, word either. But it felt like this should be a big thing. Um, I just heard about it, like, on the news and stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. And seriously, my thought was like, well, that's what you get. Sucks to be you. Right? Stay in line. Seriously. <laughs> I, it did not, that did not make me question anything. No. But for me, what it taught me was is there really wasn't a place for me. Because Oof. these were the people that I actually kind of connected with in my own little world they I felt like they if I was to sit down and have a chat with them they would understand me yeah and they're getting excommunicated one right after the other they're getting kicked out Mm -hmm. and I realized that it really kind of ended all of my questioning for the time being oh it did how so well because that possible price of asking too many questions was oh, too high. Oh, okay. So you saw that as almost like a warning, which yeah. is what they wanted you Absolutely. to see, right? Absolutely. It's like, okay, if you step out of line, you're in mm-hmm. trouble. So was it kind of this, you weren't, you were like, oh, okay, I just got to stay on the road. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think I just kind of put it all away and I set it aside and I just said, I'm not, I am not mentally ready to go down this path and see where it ends. Okay. But you were also thinking to yourself, there's not a place for me in the church. Uh-huh. Interesting. Okay. It's a, it's a weird place to be because mm-hmm. I personally, for me, never had a ton of Mormon friends because I never felt like I could really be myself. Like, mm. did I care about rated R movies? No. Yeah. Did I care about swearing? No. Like, yeah. you know, okay. did I care about a dirty joke? No. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> but I, but I didn't like, you know, there were very few people throughout my life that I could be really good friends with that were Mormon. Could that I, because mm. I really only want to be friends with them if I could, like, if I could be myself. Yeah. Tell a dirty joke or they yeah. tell the dirty joke. Like, yeah. And you could laugh about <laughs> it and not feel it. bad. Not have to go confess to the bishop <laughs> right. that you laughed about the word penis. Right? So, I don't know. We're so grown up. <laughs> I reverted back to my childhood because I never got to do that. Never got to say funny things like that. <laughs> Never got to make sex jokes. That no. was so inappropriate. No, I never heard a sex yeah. joke until after I got married. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> then my family also, my family, like my aunts and uncles, also 
became a lot more crass. Like, oh, really? Once you're married, then you then you were in. Then you get the jokes. Then you get the jokes. Like, did you maybe hear them before, but you no. didn't get them? Oh, okay. no, they didn't. Really they didn't hear. say the jokes. Oh, okay. then once you got married, you got you got into the club. Oh, like, I, I was so prudish that like if I like in high school, if mm-hmm. I would have heard a sex joke, I seriously would. I was such a prude. I'd be like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you're so immature. <laughs> <laughs> no, so yeah. that's that was me though. Like I mm. went to church and kind of put it back on the shelf. Um, so you're like, stay in line, and also just put your thoughts and feelings on the shelf that you don't belong here. Yeah. You just gotta, you just gotta shut up, right, and get along, and hope, and hope it gets easier. Hope Ooh, it gets better. Yeah, like, yeah. That was that was me, and I struggled yeah. a lot too when the church came out with their policy back in oh. 2015. Yeah. Because we had always been, we have several friends who are, you know, we have several friends who are gay or lesbian. Mm. Um, we have a couple of transgender friends. Huh. And even at that time, in 2015, I, you did. My, the, our, friend that's trans, our two friends that are transgender um, did not know them then. Mm. But we had several gay friends yeah. um, during this time frame. And for me, I always was just kind of like, I don't really care what other people do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want people in my business. <laughs> to be in their business right um so that was hard and i and i didn't even know like what was even coming in my own life either Mm -hmm. at this time but it was it was still something that very much bothered me and i at the time where they had some like big resignations like there was a part of me that was just like i wish i could do that like i wish i could have the courage to do that like so you were aware mm -hmm. of the resignations you Mm -hmm. were aware of the backlash Mm -hmm. and people being really upset about it and you were kind of wishing that you... I wish I had that courage to do it. I'm yeah. like, I don't have the balls to so do that. So what did you tell yourself? Because this is something that Mormons do. Like yeah. when something's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. they have to justify it, right? Mm-hmm. They have to make an excuse or an explanation or justification of whatever. Yeah. Do you remember what you were telling yourself about that? Or did you not give an explanation or an excuse? Was it just like, this is not okay? It wasn't. It was not okay, and I kind of naively thought, but I can be that one in the ward that can like stand oh, up. Like, okay. I can, I can, I can, I can. You know, talk about my gay friends. I can church. be progressive. Mormon. I can be a progressive or yeah. open-minded. Mormon. Yes, I got to that stage in like 2018. Yeah, yeah. So that's about me. Like 2015. <laughs> like You're I, way I ahead can of be. Me. <laughs> I can. I can be that person. I can. I can change the attitudes. In the yes. Way. And do you think was it also like oh the culture sucks mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the church is still true? Yeah, probably a bit of that too. Yeah. Um, but and t- although you weren't in Utah, which oh my no. god, Utah Mormon culture is the worst. It's tough. But I remember thinking, and the justification that I gave, I remember when that policy came out. I was serving in the Young Women's. I was in the presidency, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, this does not feel good. Right. This is gross. And I was surprised, too, because I always um, had thought, Monson, I don't remember him ever yes. really saying anything about... It seemed out of character for it him. It did. Right? Now, when you That's realize... because it was. It was yeah. because it wasn't him. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> but then when he... And I, but I didn't know at the time that he was... He had... Dementia. Dementia. Mm-hmm. And that he really, like, he was not in charge. Because that's not what they were... Oh, know. no. They would never tell you that. No. Yeah. Um, and so... I was very surprised and kind of hurt over that. Because I was like, mm-hmm. I had always... I had always really liked him. I had always... Oh, yeah. I found him to be 
someone that like even as a kid I liked when he talked in mm-hmm. conference because mm-hmm. he told stories. Yeah, it wasn't fear based. I don't. No. And and maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe maybe some of his stuff was fear based. I don't remember. But I don't remember feeling that from no him, for sure. No. Yeah. Um. So I was very surprised by that and and a little hurt. Mm-hmm. I remember telling myself there must be something that God knows that I don't know. Right. About that 2015 yeah. policy. I was right. like, well, that doesn't feel right, but they must know something I don't know. Right. And 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 just justifying it as, well, you know, it yeah. must be right. That yeah. must be what God wants. Right. Yeah. I roll my eyes. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I excused it. Yeah. Is like, well, because you know how, what's the scripture? God's ways are higher than our yes. ways. And, yeah. you know, like we, we don't, don't know everything. And so know. I would always, I would always defer my own yeah. knowing mm-hmm. for what they were telling me. I always did that. I was very well, good at it. because that's how you grew up. Yeah, I was I mean, very good at that. That's how I grew up too. Like mm-hmm. when it comes to things you don't understand, mm-hmm. you look to the higher being, you yep. look to the prophet, and they understand better than we do. Totally. And and so, and I thought I could be that person in church of, of being that one who's going to stand up and say stuff. But what you realize is really fast is they don't like it when you do that. And you <laughs> yeah. go to raise your hand and you can see their look of like, oh shit, she's the one that's raising her hand right now. Like, <laughs> oh shit, she's going to say something. What again. is she going to say today? <laughs> <laughs> they don't like that. No, they don't. They have, you know, like, and you start to get a reputation. Yes. Like, oh, you're the one in you're the You're combative. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or you're negative. Yeah. Like, right. So, Eventually, I just kind of went back. Or you make us think. You make us think, and we don't like to think because that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we just kind of, you know, we kind of just trucked along with that. Um, My kind of turning point, though, I was actually already inactive back starting about 2018. So I went through um, a really traumatic experience in 2018. And, and honestly it could be a whole other podcast on that trauma and PTSD and the church and all that stuff. Yeah. So I won't really get into that. Um, but I found very quickly that going, suffering with PTSD and dealing with the legal system, I was having to deal with the legal system. Mm -hmm. I was not in a good place to go to church. I, wouldn't go and have a good experience. And probably because I was already kind of already having my own struggles already. Mm-hmm. Um, and s- But then church wasn't bringing you any sort of peace like no, it's supposed to do. it was doing the do. opposite. Yeah. Like I, you know, I was working and so, and I work with a lot of people. And so I would spend all week with like the happy smiley face, right? Because mm-hmm. I had a lot of people coming in and out of my office every day. I was helping to be in charge of a large staff. And Mm -hmm. I had a lot of, I also have a lot of families. I deal with about 200 families a week, um, plus a staff of about 50 people. Mm. Um, So by the time Friday, Saturday would come around, like I was tired because I had put that mask on all week. I ignored those feelings. I was, you know, know, I was ignoring the anxiety, the issues. And so when I would come to Sunday and I'd go to church, instead of being uplifted, I would just, I was so drained. Like Mm. I was so tired. So I very quickly realized that if I was going to survive, I couldn't go to church. Mm. And so for me, that's like the start of where I stopped going to church, but it wasn't like this big, it wasn't this big deal for me because I thought I would go back. Yeah. It was like, I'm taking a break. Yep. I'm taking a break until I get my shit back together. And I get through this and then, and then we'll, we'll come back to church. Because things that were being taught or things that people were saying at church were triggering. Yes. 
some of that PTSD yes. of what the experience, the traumatic experience yeah. that you had, and you weren't feeling compassion and empathy no. and like that it was a safe place for you, right? right? And some people too would kind of like would kind of come in like I guess like word vomit on me a little bit. Oh, well, like because you know it. Like, did everybody at church know what had happened to you? Yes, because okay. it had it had gone basically. So basically, I we had someone that forced his way into our home. Mm. and tried to physically attack me. Mm. Um, and luckily I was not home alone like he thought I was. Um, mm. My husband had left with our dog, and I actually had some family there. Yeah. And um, my brother actually fought him off. And so, but when he, but he took off into the neighborhood. Oh, geez. And so my husband very quickly after coming back, he had posted on the neighborhood Facebook page yeah. saying, look out for this person. Look out for this, look out for this guy. He was, he's a, he was a neighbor of ours and look out for him. He's still at large. Cops are on their way. He tried to attack my wife kind of thing. So, and our boundary, even though we're not in Utah, it's actually our ward. Funny enough is a very small boundary. Huh. It's really just this neighborhood we live in. Oh wow. And so a lot of people knew about it. Yeah. Um, and so people would come and, I think they were trying to maybe sympathize a little bit, mm. but what they would do is like, oh, well, you know what happened to my brother, sister, uncles, aunt, whatever. Like, oh, yeah. And they would tell me this traumatic story. Yeah. And I was not in a place like, to hear that. I think they, they think that they're like commiserating mm-hmm. with you. Like, like, hey, we're on equal footing right. because I've had something bad happen to me right. too. Do you right. think? And I think a lot of people do that. Or, sure. or like someone in the ward, she had had an even, even worse experience. She'd had a gun pulled on her. Oh, geez. Yeah. And so then part of me kind of almost felt that shame of why she's a fully functioning person. She's not struggling now. And she had a gun pulled on her for Christ's sake. And she probably wasn't a fully functioning person. Probably wasn't. But of course, what you see is what she wants you to see. Right. right? Which was, she's doing fine. Yeah. Why can't I get my shit together? Yeah. <laughs> why it's am like, I struggling It's, it's a this? competition of struggling. Yeah. Like, oh, she struggled worse than me. Yeah. So I should be fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That so, sucks. you know, and so I just, I didn't find church to be a good place. Yeah. So I decided to stop going and thinking I was going to go back. And then um, 2020 hit and everything okay. shut down. Yep. And that was the same time where my husband could finally like be done and be and not because he really didn't want to go to church, but okay. was not in a place where he could at the time. Like so, when you stopped going to church, he kept going. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay, and not because was he, he not because he wanted to, but he felt <laughs> obligated to. He did because did he had a calling. He had a calling, had, okay. and also because he again, we don't live in Utah, but he worked for a Mormon-based company. Ah, and so. Like, our bishop at the time was, like, his boss's boss. Oh, my gosh. So, you can't really, like, he didn't feel like he could really, yeah. like, go inactive. You had an excuse. I did. In quotes. Yeah. To nobody questioned to church, it. And, you, and he didn't. So, he's like, damn, I don't have an yeah. excuse. Mm-hmm. I have to go. So, was he taking your daughter, too? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. was more just because it gave me a couple hours to yeah. just be by myself. And, yeah. And... Do my own thing yeah. and um, kind of recharge for the week. So yeah. he would take her and um, they would go. Yeah. But when everything shut so down, when 2020 happens yeah. and it's like this huge relief. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't have to go anymore. Yeah. For him. Yeah. yeah. And then this is kind of where we get to like <laughs> the main part of this story, which was basically the, it's, um, I guess it's been more closer to about a year and a half, is when my dad came out to his family mm-hmm. and um i'm not really going to get into I'll, I'll respect that privacy of 
Wyatt came out and all those kinds of things. I want to respect him and my mom. But I, you know, more we'll talk about as a grown daughter of someone of how this has affected me. And I really want to say that as we talk about like the feelings, the emotions, the reactions, I have never been upset about my dad's sexual orientation. Yeah. It's never, it's never been something that has upset me or angered me. Right. Um, so when we talk about, so when I'm talking about some of the things that I kind of personally went through. Yeah. The things you were upset about, the yeah. things that you struggled with, it wasn't because he was gay. No. That wasn't the issue. Correct. Yeah. It wasn't because of that. And I have, because I've always believed, as long as I can really remember, I never thought this was a choice. Like, I never thought your sexual mm. orientation was a choice. You know, family relationships are complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the best of circumstances. Right, right. And so I've gone through a lot of emotions over this over the past year and a half, two years. And sadly, honestly, one thing I will say about it is this was not my dad's choice to come out. And when you and I kind of were talking, yeah. this whole thing with Rebel Wilson came out and how she was basically forced to also open up about her sexual identity. Yeah. And she it was forced was, out of the closet. It pissed me off beyond belief because I'm like, why are we still yeah. sexual? Why are we still weaponizing people's sexuality? Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, and it still happens. Thing. Oh, yeah. People feel if, if you are just not a straight person, that they can weaponize your sexuality sometimes. And so I felt for her. I was pissed for her. Yeah. And I was pissed for my dad because he, this wasn't his choice to come out. Yeah. I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of the Rebel Wilson thing until you told me about it. Yeah. I didn't follow that story. I didn't even hear about it in the yeah. news. But then you told me about it and I looked it up and I was like, oh, geez. Right. Like, why? Why is this a thing? Right. Why is that something right. that anybody feels... Oh, anyways. Yes. <laughs> we, we could vent about that for a bit. <laughs> so, basically what happened was we... Honestly, we didn't even know that this was going to happen. Um, we were dealing with the immediate after effects of a natural disaster. Mm. Um, we had been without power and water for several days. Um, and so I had talked to my dad and asked if they had power. They live about 30 minutes away from us. Mm-hmm. Um, they have had power and water. And so I had asked, like, could we come up? Could we take showers? Can we just like, yeah. not have to deal with this for a little bit? Yeah. And they and he said yes. Um, so we were already in a very high level state of stress. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, there was damage to our house. There was issues going on. Um, so when we got there, this was the last thing that we were, I thought we were going to have was, you know, this coming out from my dad. Oh, that's when he came out yeah. is when you went to their house yeah. during this whole thing. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. So you don't see that coming. No. You're already on high alert, just yeah. trying to live your life. Right. And then he sits you down and says, hey, I got to tell you something. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Timing's terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember just, I remember just kind of being very, very surprised. And I remember telling my dad that I wasn't concerned or upset about his sexuality. I just wanted to make sure he was okay. And I wanted yeah. to make sure my mom was okay. Yeah. One of the things I was worried about was because of the way it was coming out, I was worried about him taking his own life Ooh, um yeah. we have had suicide issues yeah in my family and with some friends we've we've lost several friends and family members to suicide Ooh. so that was something that I actually was very concerned about yeah and so, his mental health yeah because yeah. mm-hmm. this was this was something that honestly when I think about it this is something that he had feared would come out for his almost his, his entire life, life. 
he had been living yeah. in a closet, yeah. fearing fearing this coming out. And here, here we are playing this out. His worst fear is coming to fruition that, yeah. that everybody's finding out now. Yeah. And I can imagine that feels like my life is over. Yeah. Everything's coming crashing down. Yeah. Everything's ruined. Gonna lose everything. Everything I've built up my whole life. Yeah. And it's really a facade, right? Yeah. Which is part of the pain. Yeah. Because it's like, now everybody knows that I'm not who I said I was. Right. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah. That's hard. So I remember telling him that. I'm just, I remember just kind of, my initial reaction was, uh, you know, are you okay? Is are my mom okay? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I very, very quickly went almost like into autopilot and yeah. kind of numb because I was trying to be an emotional support to my mom. Yep. I was also trying to be a mother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was working and it's not like I could go to work and be like, guys, I'm, there's a lot going on right now. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I couldn't do that. Couldn't like, open up about what Couldn't happening. open up what was going on. I think all I told my boss was shit has hit the fan <laughs> and there's a lot going on right now. And I, yeah. I didn't even really tell her what was going on. Yeah. Um, so again, I'm going back to that, putting on the smile, yep. pretending everything's fine, stuffing all of those feelings down. Yep. And my mom is completely devastated. Oh, um, I'm sure. Because they'd been married for almost so 40 years. your mom had never known until this point. No. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if there were suspicions at any yeah. time. I don't know. Like, I've yeah. never really asked her that. Like, yeah. But, but as far as you know, yeah. this came out of left field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So she's devastated. So I'm just been married to you for 40 years. So where I talk about I have trust issues. Yeah, like, no shit. She's got <laughs> trust issues. How does she trust anybody? Because yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. I mean, this is your this is your significant other. This is your partner. This isn't someone you've been with for 40 plus years. Oh, I can't even imagine. No. You know, and to have a secret come out after that much time. And not just like a little secret. Like, yeah. That's, that's a pretty a big, life-altering secret. That's a big secret. So do you mind me asking, what was your perception of their marriage before that point? Like, would mm-hmm. you have said that they had a happy marriage, that they were okay, or that they were just, you know? It's hard. I think it's hard. I think yeah. because there was factors of they've been married for a long time, so I think they had their own rhythm. They were kind of yeah. doing their own things in a lot of ways. I think... There were a lot of struggles. Yeah, like every marriage mm-hmm. has. Mm-hmm. But did you think that their marriage was different than most in any way? Like you just thought they were they were normal. Like they had struggles, yeah. but they still yeah they they stuck through it. Yeah, they stuck through it. Yeah, it, it it's a hard it's a hard one to answer because I just felt like I think growing up I didn't really notice much. Mm. I think as an adult though I would I would notice things that. They, they weren't very affectionate. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, too, I think my dad was becoming more and more of the attitude of, I've done my duty. I've raised my kids. Mm. I've been the provider. I'm going to do what I want to do now. Oh, okay. And so he was definitely doing a lot of other things as far yeah. as, like, I mean, I swear he was picking up a new hobby, like, every day. Yeah. But I think he was trying to fill, I think, now that I yeah, know what was void. going on, I think he was trying to fill a void mm-hmm. that we didn't understand at the time. Totally. But I think as an adult, I saw more of, like, hmm, I don't know. But then I would look at other people's parents, too, of those who were, like, you know, married for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of, I mean, they You're didn't like, seem that people off. are. Right. It didn't seem... <laughs> I don't see like I don't I don't see these couples who've been married for fifty years like making out in the yeah, back yeah, of the yeah. car. <laughs> <laughs> that would be weird if you did. Right. Oh, 
goodness. So yeah. I think I had like questions about it. Um, but at the same time, I don't know if I really put a lot of thought into it yeah. prior. Um, but now all of a sudden everything's being scrutinized. Like, yeah, you know, for sure. And, you know, and, and now I've got parents that are having two different experiences. Mm-hmm. My dad in a lot of ways, and I'm not, I'm not blaming, I'm not upset about this. At the time I kind of was, it was almost a relief for him. Oh yeah. And that's completely valid. So mm-hmm. there was almost this like kind of euphoric, like it's out. Mm. And he felt free for yeah. the first time in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the while. So he's feeling this unburdening. Yeah. And the rest of us were getting this burden placed on us. Ooh, and the yeah. the devastation that it was causing with my mom. Yeah. And, you know, and she's going through hell. And, and so I kind of struggled with trying not to be upset over that and trying to realize yeah. that his feelings were valid. That this is something that had finally come out and he could finally be open about. And he deserved to have some of that relief. Right. But it was very hard to also see my mom struggle Mm -hmm. in this way. Not just a little bit. Like, she was shattered. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, because that that doesn't just, you know, when he feels that relief. Yeah. It's, it's, the burden didn't go away. It just got It shifted on your mom and your siblings. Yeah. You know, like... And it is so hard because there's so many feelings around it. Like, yeah. you do feel happy for him to yeah. be able to be himself and finally be honest, but oh, the aftermath is very the price of that was very high. The price of that was very high. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's where you're just like, well, how do you do this now? How do you support both parents? Yeah, how do you support a dad who's now come out and is happy to be out? And how do you support a mom who has just had the rug pulled out from underneath her and is in a position she never thought she would be in? And so when he came out, did, like, I don't know why, but just, like, I'm trying to picture the scene of, like, you know, is he standing there with your mom as your mom, like, being, like, his his support system? Like, of course she found out before you found out, right? And was, did he verbalize to you guys what that what him coming out meant for their relationship or for your family moving forward was that ever part of the conversation it it was so my mom was actually out of town when all of this came out oh my god and that's also that's also part of it <laughs> okay like, so she wasn't there when she he told there. you Right. And okay. when he told her it was on the phone oh my god yeah. i'm so sorry so so it, it was one of those things, and that's also where our concern, where my concern was, of like, I just need to make sure you're okay, because he was yeah. alone at the house. Yeah. And he did say, you know, I want to try to work this out with your mom if if she wants to. Okay. So, but, you know, that's a that's a complicated road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not, that's yeah. not cut and dry. There's nothing simple about that. There's nothing simple about that. Yeah. Um, and so he did say from the very beginning he wanted to try to work this out with my mom. You know, and he did apologize too about not being honest about it, yep. you know. And, you know, I think for me though, I just kind of, I that conversation with him, because I knew he was alone at the house and stuff, I, I really didn't say a whole lot. It just was, I'm glad you're okay. I want you to be okay. Um, I called my mom that night. I talked to her that night. It was not a conversation of many words, you mm. know, because she was 
trying to process all of this. Yeah, she was probably super emotional. Very emotional. And I had told her, I said, if you want to come stay at our house for a little bit, if, you know, while you sort your feelings out, you most certainly can. And um, that was kind of the initial part of it. But life still had to go on. Yeah. I still had, I mean, this was, I don't remember what day it was. It was the middle of the week. And actually, everything had been closed for that week because... Like schools have been closed that week because everybody was trying to deal with this disaster. Yeah. Um, so I had a couple of days before I had to go back to work, but that following Monday I had to go back to work and I very quickly identified that some of those PTSD feelings were, were back and I had to mm. really stuff everything down because I couldn't sit there and be like, I'm sorry guys. Like, I'm sorry I'm in a bad mood today. Like yeah. <laughs> I have a lot going on. Yeah. I had to, I had to pretend everything was fine and it wasn't something I felt like I could talk to with any of my friends because again, this wasn't about me. This was about my mom and dad and they haven't really told anybody what's going on. Yeah. So I didn't feel like I could, I didn't feel like I could talk to my friends. Basically the only person I talked to was my husband mm-hmm. who is very close with my parents and was also very hard on him too. You know, mm-hmm. this was also an emotional roller coaster for him. Mm-hmm. And my daughter was too young to really understand what was going on. And so she didn't really understand. Like, if you've got that short fuse, I just had to be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This isn't you. Mommy's just having a really hard day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really hard day. Um, so I think I very quickly went into autopilot, numb, yeah. survival mode. Yeah. I didn't talk about it a whole lot. But it was hard because I'm the only sibling that lives close to my parents. Mm. And so, you know, in the weeks afterwards, we'd go up to their house and sometimes it would be fine. Felt normal. Yeah. And sometimes it was very, very tense. Mm. And you could tell that stuff had been going down. Yeah. Um, like that they had just been fighting yeah, or, or trying or having an emotional conversation. Yeah. Because even though, I, you know, there was no guarantee that they were going to be able to work this out. Right. Right. You know? And so sometimes. And they're still not. Then there's, yeah. I right. mean, they are still like, together. Yeah. But there, there is no guarantee with right. that. And I've told both of them that I I just want them to be happy mm-hmm. together or not together. You mm-hmm. know, if to stay together, don't, because I feel like the church puts so much emphasis on marriage and stuff like that. I was, yeah. I told my mom, I was like, you are not trapped. Yeah. You can leave too. If you are not happy, you can leave. And so tell me about where they're like how this relates to their testimonies of the gospel mm-hmm. or their, you know, living the Mormon life. When right. he comes out, how does that play out? Are they, I'm assuming they were still faithful Mormon mm-hmm. at the time that yeah. he came out. Uh-huh. Did he still have a big calling or, you know, did that affect that? Like what happened as far as the church goes? I don't remember what my dad's calling was at the time. I, I don't remember what either one of them had at the time. Um, my mom is still very active in the church, and I can't even blame her for it. Like, Yeah, it's probably a lifeline for her. It is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I look at someone, she's in her 60s. Mm-hmm. She's lived this her entire life. It. I don't know if she could live, I don't know if she could start over. Yeah. I don't know how, I mean, I think you and I have talked about it. Someone who can start over later in life, like, mm-hmm. props to them. Yeah. Because that's... It's way harder later in yeah. life, for sure. I yeah. mean, and so she's still very, she's still very active. She has a calling. I think she's like the visiting teacher, supervisor. I know they don't call them visiting teachers yeah. anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's called. Just, you know, um, yeah. my dad tried to make it work for a while with the church. Um, I think he's become more and more detached 
mm-hmm. from it. I, and a lot of it is because of how the church treats people of the queer community. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel bad for my mom. I, I mourn for her because I know her sitting alone at church is not how she ever thought her life was going to be. Uh-huh. Like, I think she thought, you know, having kids get married in the temple. I'm sure, like, she thought her and my dad were going to go serve missions. Yep. I, you know, have her grandkids, you know, yeah. a part of the church. And she's the only... That's not going to happen. No. And I, I feel for her because yeah. I think that's that's very sad for her. Yeah. It's not how she pictured it. Right. <laughs> at all. And do you know whether, like, the people in the neighborhood or the mm-hmm. ward also know the situation? Some do. Okay. So they've been a little more... I think they have also opened up a bit more and more as time has gone on. Yeah. My mom definitely... I think, you know, when this all first came out, I think my mom was really leaning pretty heavy on me for support. For emotional support, yeah. And it was sending me spiraling. Ugh, yeah. And because it's, it's very stressful because I just didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to walk into. I didn't know any time I got a phone call from one of my parents or a text message from one of my parents or if I walked into the fucking house, yeah. if I was going to have some other, you know, bomb dropped on me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so it was... I could be, it was very, very emotional. And so Mm -hmm. I think my mom realized pretty quickly that having your kids be your emotional support was not the way to go. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so she started seeing a therapist, um, although it was still through the LDS services. Of course. I mean, her justification (laughs) was she wanted someone who could understand. Yeah. No, I. Where she was coming from. (laughs) Yeah. I totally get it though. Yeah. And she started opening up with, um, they had just moved into a new ward, you know, and so she made some friends and like, I know that they have, she's opened up with them about it. And I yeah. think that's kind of taken that pressure off of her needing her kids to be that emotional support because yeah. we ourselves were trying to figure out how, how, how we were doing. Right. We were also in survival mode too. We were yeah. also part of that collateral damage. Totally. Because for me... After, you know, when I kind of was kind of going through this like autopilot thing, I mean, I also had a lot of confusion too because I was like, was this was this all a lie? Yeah, because suddenly your whole life is in question. Yeah. Everything that you knew to be true, yeah. like your very existence, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, is in question about yeah. why do you even exist? Why yeah. are you in? You know, like you came from this marriage yeah. that suddenly is like is this a legitimate marriage do they love each other should i this should this have ever even happened you know i totally get that because it's like existential crisis of your whole life yeah because you're like was the marriage just a facade was it just a totally yeah if if that's was was having kids a front Uh was having Mm -hmm. like am i just a front am Uh i just Am I just someone to deflect any suspicions off of you? Like, that's, right. you go through that a bit. Totally. Like, I can totally see that. Where, where, Where is my place in all of yeah, this? Yeah, because you and your siblings, mm-hmm. you were all your dad's beard. Like, you yeah. know that, that term yeah. when they say, like, yeah. oh, that's his beard. That's, you were covering mm-hmm. up his sexuality, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that fucks with your brain. It does. For sure. And I think I spent some time, like... And I I think that's how I kind of shifted. I think I shifted after probably after a month or two of just being numb and pretend like 
just being in survival mode. And I, at some point, my dad came over to, it's probably about, probably about six to eight weeks after this came, after he came out. Okay. And he came out and my brother was in town. Okay. It's the first time my brother had been in town since all this had come out. And my brother was staying at our house. My dad just showed up and wanted to have a conversation and wanted to talk about it. <laughs> and I think I'd had an emotional conversation with my mom earlier that day because mm. um, we'd had dinner over there. I think my emotions were starting to bubble over more and more. And so when my dad came in and wanted to talk about it. I probably didn't react the best to it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know I've not been perfect in this situation. I probably have said things that have not always been the nicest. Um, but I remember very quickly being very angry. And I mm. part of it I felt like was because my dad up to this point had not really talked to us about how we were doing. But now that my brother's mm. in town... And now he wants to talk. He wants mm. to talk. and he, But it was clear I felt like he wanted to more talk to my brother. Yeah. Um, and my brother is a quiet person. Doesn't say much. He was kind of chatting and he made this comment to my brother like, well, you know, how are you feeling and stuff. And my brother didn't say much. And then he finally looked at me and he's like, well, how are you doing? And I kind of let loose on mm. it. Very honest about I realized at that moment I was very angry and not again not angry at a sexuality no right um I think in that moment I realized I was I was very angry that I had spent my whole life being forced into a religion Mm. it was a religion I don't think my dad even really wanted to be a part of yeah feeling like I was a front Mm -hmm. and feeling like he had used us in a way yeah I guess and so I just told him, I said, I'm very angry and I'm very upset. And I don't know how to trust you. How yeah. do you trust someone who has not been honest and not even about your sexuality, but not being on, not being honest about how you felt about the church? Yeah. Because for me growing up, and I think my, my siblings have had, we've all have had different experiences. Um, I think for me, I've had the hardest time with all of this because being the oldest, there was so much more pressure on me mm-hmm. to make sure I did all the right things in church. Mm-hmm. And I felt like with my dad that if I wanted his approval, his consistent approval, mm-hmm. it was doing stuff in the church, yeah. doing the right things in the church, following that path. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we were talking, it really just like, it kind of just blew up on me a little bit of just yeah. like, I just, I don't know where to go from here. Yeah. I've got a mom who is just, I can physically see the pain on her face. And, you know, I've got, and not, and like I said, it's completely valid, but I have a dad in another way who's being like completely euphoric. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. And I'm stuck in the middle here trying to figure out how this all fits together and where do we go from here. And, and I told him, you know, because I did trauma counseling after my experience. And and I, and I told him, I said, I, I can't always control our feelings. Yeah. In that evening, I was very emotionally tired, mm-hmm. very much struggling, very much all of a sudden feeling my feelings, probably for the first time since mm-hmm. this had all had come out. Yeah, like the numbness had mm-hmm. worn out. It had worn and out. It's just part of the stages, right? Mm-hmm. Of grief, of whatever it is. Like, yeah. we have, you know, the feelings just wait for you. Yeah. When you're they're, numbing, they're there. They're there. They're always, they're going to wait until, yeah. yeah. 
And they sometimes don't come out the best. Yes, yes. They explode all at once. But I was angry. I mean, I was I was angry at how this was affecting my mom. I didn't feel like it was fair. She well, yeah, had done everything right. of your yeah. mom. Yeah. You know, she had done everything she was supposed to do. She got married in the temple to return missionary. You know, she had her kids. She was a faithful member. Like, this isn't supposed to be her life. Well, and also, okay, I'm just, maybe this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm also <laughs> thinking about it from the church's perspective. Yeah. A woman cannot get to heaven without a man. Right. So she did everything she could right. to have a man yeah. bring her into heaven. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly, at no fault of her own, right. it's all she in has no connection to God. It's anymore. all in jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, that's been severed. And she's like, well, now what do I do? Because our worth is completely tied up in whether we have a righteous priesthood holder man in our lives. Which is total bullshit. So your poor, poor, poor mom is trying to figure out all of that. Her whole life. Her whole life. She's 60-something years old trying to figure out her whole life. Yeah. You know, and I I was very upset over that. And it really took him by surprise. Yeah, it took him by surprise. You did yeah. because I hadn't said much up to yeah. this point. Yeah, but and I, he didn't even think that you would be mad. I don't know what he thought. <laughs> I think maybe he just thought I just. I think he thought this was going to be a kumbaya conversation yeah. because initially you were, you know, very supportive, yeah. and it's not about his sexuality. Right. You're like, I'm supportive of that. I just yeah. want you to be happy. But there is some shit you got to clean up over yeah. here, right? <laughs> <sighs> Lots of issues. Mm-hmm. He was really surprised by that, and we, and he became very defensive, and this is where we kind of probably had our first conversation about the Mormon church and the teachings and how it had, he had really internalized that, because he, he was born in the 50s, and he grew up in a conservative town, completely, almost, 100%, almost completely Mormon. Yeah. And the church had a lot of thoughts on the queer community. Totally. And, you know, we've talked about it. I know you have it. Like, when I was preparing for this podcast and I was trying to find some of these different things that were said, my husband was like, go Google on the record. Yeah. <laughs> you do not need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. It's <laughs> All of it's done there. All of it's yeah. there. And so I went and looked at, like, on the record. Okay, so just for our listeners, yeah. tell them what that is. So it is done. There's a podcast, uh, Latter Gay Stories. Mm-hmm. Kyle Ashworth. Yes. And he put together this document of basically everything the church has said mm-hmm. about the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have stuff. Like, from the beginning of yes. time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's it's all there, and it's a working document. And so, yeah. I mean, it is, let's see here, 97 pages. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, this isn't all, like, just straight writing. But if right. you Google it, you can Google um, on the record. And I think I put on the record letter, letter gay stories. Okay. Yeah. So go look it up if yeah. you get a chance because it's fascinating. It'll make your blood right? boil. It'll, yeah. It'll make you pissed <laughs> off. It'll make you sad. Yeah. It'll make you, you know, if you're not already feeling that. Yeah. But it is really interesting to see how it's changed so much over time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and so when I, you know, when my dad talks about what he grew up hearing, and I can read this here, the very first thing that they have on here is they have all the words that have been used to describe someone who is queer. Yeah. And it's diabolical, blasphemy, pervert, 
unnatural, abnormal, an affliction, immoral, impure, victim, under the control of Lucifer, weak, transgressor, mm. evil, ridiculous, sinful, ugly, predator. Wow, ugly? Uh-huh. Oh my God. Sin of the ages, <laughs> deceitful, abominable, detestable, crime against nature, confused, degenerate, addict, unmanly, wow. unseemly, desperate, diseased, Helpless, promiscuous, enslaved, contaminant, carnal, selfish, aggressive, brutal, abusive, violent, hopeless, corrupt, filthy, dreadful, unhappy, counterfeit. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's just their first page. Oh, my God. Yeah, that list is insane. So. Ridiculous stood out to me. It said ridiculous. Oh, yeah. That was a word that they used to describe a queer person is ridiculous. And unmanly. (laughs) Of course, of course, of course, unmanly. I mean, some of those descriptions are so painful to hear. Yeah. It's, it's painful. And I think, you know, we started that conversation. You know what? That list is so unchristlike. I can't even. Like these are people who claim to follow Christ. And one of the things that I have honestly struggled with. And, and I will say, when we had that conversation, I don't think I was really in a place to really, like, digest it. Yeah. Because I was angry. And that's fine. Yes. Um, And it, that conversation turned, it kind of got turned onto us as far as, like, what our activity level was and things like that. So, oh, wait. How did it get turned into I don't even remember. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, like, did your dad bring that up? He and did. And say, like, are you living righteously? It was, or it wasn't that? It, it felt that way. Oof. Like... It did, which was like, why are why are we why are we talking about us? Like, why why is this about us now? Yeah. But after that conversation, after some time has obviously passed, because that was a little over a little over a year ago. Okay. I can tell you that as I really have sat and thought about that, one of the things that I think about over and over again as a parent, Uh I think about when I look at my daughter and I go, if. She is made, she is created in mine and my husband's image, right? Uh-huh. Just like how they say that we are creative Heavenly Father's image. Uh-huh. I would go to the ends of the earth for her. Uh-huh. And why a God would make somebody and then say that they were, I don't know, let me. All let me of just, those things. Just pull out a few of them. <laughs> diabolical, a predator, <laughs> corrupt, filthy. Yeah. It didn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me. Mm-mm. I don't understand if we, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand how someone could create someone in their image, mm-hmm. but then also say, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's going to be impossible to come back home. Yeah. I would never do that to any of my kids. No. Like, I, I don't care. I don't care what they've done. That goes against everything we've ever been taught that God is. Right. Right? And yeah. so that's where so much of the disconnect happens. Right. Is you're like, wait a sec. Right. God is supposedly our father. Right. Who loves us infinitely. Right. More than gay. our earthly father could ever love us. Right. He wants us to return to him, but yes. then he makes a pretty high percentage of his children gay, mm-hmm. which makes them... <laughs> Almost or transgender, right? Or pansexual, yeah. Or... Any anywhere yeah. on 
the spectrum of yeah. queerness, right? Yeah. He makes it so it's virtually impossible for them to return to him. And that's not even based on the Mormon rules, right? And that's not even getting into, you know, why with blacks in the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. now you have another percentage of people who supposedly can't, you know, now that's changed. We don't, we don't mm-hmm. preach that anymore, right? right? When I grew up, I 100% heard that people who were of darker skin color were fence sitters. Oh, yeah, in the pre-existence. they could not have the priesthood. They could not have those ordinances. So mm-hmm. what's the point? Why, mm-hmm. why is God creating all of these people mm-hmm. and so few of them can return back to him? Yeah. But that doesn't make any logical sense to me. No, it doesn't. And it didn't like, and so like talking, you know, being with my dad and talking to them, it didn't, it, it didn't make sense. And mm-hmm. I, but I was still struggling with, I think a lot of my anger for a long time really was because I had felt forced into living this religion. Yeah. And now this religion was hurting my family. Yeah. And so it was a religion I don't think I necessarily would have chosen to have maybe followed as closely mm-hmm. if I felt like I would have had another choice. But my dad didn't really make me feel like I had another choice. Yeah. So you've got this like weird like balance of things of I'm I'm sad for you. I'm sad you had to live this way. Mm-hmm. I'm angry at you because you made me live this way too. Yeah. Like, and it was almost like, and, I, and as I've like, I've talked to some of my, like with my sister a bit. And it was like, it almost felt like maybe he felt because he was making the sacrifice to live this way, that if we didn't stay a part of the church, then his sacrifice was for nothing. Yeah. Like, if we weren't active members of the church, temple endowed, all of those things, then why did he, why did he do this? So his sacrifice was dependent on you sacrificing as well. Right. And also, don't you think that you were part of his cover up? Yeah. Like, yeah. you had to you had to live a certain way because that was a reflection on him and how right. he parented and what he did, right. right or wrong, right? right? I think we all feel that to a certain extent sure. with our kids. Yeah, because he's trying to he's trying to put on the show that yeah. he has the perfect Mormon family. Right. And so you're a part of that. Right. And you have to follow the rules in yes. order to go along with his portrayal of the right. perfect well, you know, and I think my brother-in-law kind of had made a comment, too, about it, it almost maybe felt like, because let's, I mean, we can talk about, like, I, especially when he was growing up and as a young adult, you know, they felt that being queer, you could be cured. And you could yes. be you're cured through repentance. Totally. And going through the temple and yep. doing those things. And I think maybe he also mm. felt like he needed to double down on yes. all of this. Oh my gosh. Because so maybe, much of that. Because yes. maybe if he was righteous enough and he did enough, maybe he could maybe he could be cured. Maybe yeah. he could be forgiven. Yeah. Like and totally. I think there was a part of him too that maybe felt the more that he needed to the more he doubled down on it, like then maybe he could be cured. Yeah. And because I guarantee, because of the way he was taught, he knew that there was something major wrong with him. Right. That it was something that had to be fixed, that it right. was a weakness, a yeah. trial, whatever. Yeah. And this is how he dealt with it, which right. is how he was supposed to deal with it. Well, he was given an impossible choice. Absolutely. Yeah. You either leave the church and everything you know mm-hmm. and risk your eternal salvation. Yep. Or... You get married in the temple and hope that will fix everything. Mm-hmm. And you just put on a smiling face mm-hmm. and pretend like everything's fine. Pray the gay away. Pray the gay away. Oh, 
pray it away. Yeah. And let me tell you, I think if it could be prayed away, my dad would have been Oh, it would have been gone. Yeah. Yeah. Quote, unquote, cured Mm -hmm. decades ago. Yep. It doesn't work that way. Yep. Doesn't work. (laughs) Doesn't work that way. Yep. He, you know, but, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, I have really, and still struggle with a little bit, is reconciling that my dad was put in a very tough spot. And it wasn't about trying to hurt anybody. I think if he would have had it his way, I don't know if he ever would have come out. Mm. Like, I think he would have just kept it to himself. Which is sad in its own right. Right. Is there part of you that kind of wishes that that was the case? That that cat had never been let out of the bag? For him, no. Yeah. For my mom, sure. For us, sure. Like, it's it's such a hard thing to say because it's it's unfair to ask him to live with that silently. It's unfair to have my mom and, you know, siblings and stuff... Also dealing with the aftermath of it too. Totally. Nobody's, it's a loose situation for everybody. It totally is. And that makes me think so much. Like when you say it's unfair to ask that of him, Mm -hmm. that's what the church asked of him. Mm -hmm. So what they're asking of him Mm -hmm. and every other person, like your mom, like you guys Mm -hmm. who are in these situations, they're asking you to, to do that. Yeah. To be in those situations. Yeah. And it is absolutely unfair. Yeah. And not okay. Yeah. And they that's what they expect. Mm-hmm. And I think I sat in that anger for a while yeah. of trying to reconcile all of this. Yeah. You know, how do you be a support for your dad who is out and is um, being active in the pride community and stuff like that yeah and wanting to be supportive of that but how do you be supportive of a mom who didn't ask to be in a mixed you know they call the church calls it a mixed orientation marriage Mm -hmm. she never asked for that yeah you know so how do you support one without kind of pissing on the other hurting yeah totally that's a good way to put it yeah I haven't figured totally. that out yet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there is a way. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So that puts you in a very difficult yeah. position. Yeah. And I've said some things, you know, I think like my dad brought something home once and I made a comment about it and I was like, I don't think mom's going to want that. And her, it was, it was some, it was, a, it was a gay pride thing. Mm. And I just kind of went, I don't know if mom is going to want to look at that all the time. It's yeah. kind of a, it's a reminder to her it's of her what soul. she's going through. But I also don't want you to, like, have to stuff everything inside either. So that's, I think I really sat in that for a while. But eventually, I I think after a while, I kind of went more into, like, into grief. Yeah. And I think people, even if you're not, like, even if this story is not your story, I think even if you have left the church, you go through these. Oh, yeah. Every single one of these stages. You go through shock. You go through anger. You go through confusion. You go through grief. Yeah. You know. And then you go back to the other ones. Oh, yeah. You do it it's over not and over again. Yeah, exactly. No. It's like you've seen like those like kind of pictures about like weight loss or whatever. And you think it's going to be like one way and it's like, oh, like yeah. straight down. And in <laughs> no. reality, it's like the squiggle line that's like all <laughs> over the place. 100%. Like yeah. you can you can feel like you're doing fine and then something can trigger it. And uh-huh. you can go right back to being in anger or yep. right back to being in shock or, you know, mm-hmm. or grief. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't take much to do that. But I think once I moved out of that anger phase, I moved into the grief because I felt like I was grieving over the fact that the church had such a stranglehold mm. on my family mm-hmm. in 
in every way possible. Yeah. And it does in every Mormon family. Yeah. And people who are in the church may not realize that. But I think once you get out of the church, you realize how it's strangling families. Mm -hmm. And I also don't know if I can ever really have a fully authentic relationship with either of my parents. Mm -hmm. I think for my dad, he lived in a constant fear. Oh, I'm sure. Fear, anxiety, depression, all of those things. And also holding back such a big part of your life. Like, I don't know how you cultivate... You can't cultivate a close relationship. Yeah. Real authentic relationships Mm -hmm. are almost impossible. And I would say our relationship was never, like, bad. Yeah. But it was never close. Yeah. It's never been close. And I don't know at this point if you can bridge that gap. Yeah. Because there's decades of... Mm -hmm. Feeling maybe sometimes trying to understand why why you're not enough, mm-hmm. you know, like why why is my dad struggling? Why is my dad sad? Why is my dad angry? Why yes. you know? Sometimes I felt like when I did something that was out of line with the church, it was it was almost like rage was bubbling mm, under there. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe yeah, I think he he internalized that himself, yeah. like took it on personally. Yeah. It's like your mistake is now my mistake, right? Or, something. or it's a very codependent way of, or it'll blow his cover. Yes, yeah. totally. So it was. So there was that fear for me of stepping out of line because mm. I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to deal with that. Yeah. And for my mom, I think now it's hard to have that authentic relationship because we're not a part of the church, mm. and she still is. And yeah. so anything we do that is outside of church approved things mm-hmm. is sad for her. Yeah. And so you hide a lot of things. You hide, you know, you hide the coffee maker. You yeah. Know? When she comes over, it's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, put the booze away. <laughs> you hide the alcohol or whatever. Like, yeah. you, you know, you hide those parts of you. So how do you have a, an authentic relationship when you know anything you're doing is just hurtful to them totally see and i would imagine that your mom is holding on to the church for dear life at this Mm -hmm. point Mm -hmm. because i bet to her it feels like the only stable thing she has left right and it's like her rock and her foundation which Mm -hmm. is what we were constantly taught right Mm -hmm. and if the gospel is her foundation and other things are crumbling out around her she's going to She's going to grip onto that for dear life even more so. Mm -hmm. So it probably does absolutely no good to have conversations with her about the church or about your beliefs or anything. That's just hurtful to her, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because this is what she's lived her life for. Yeah. You know, and she's made a lot of her own sacrifices over the years, you Mm -hmm. know, and so... It's, it's something that I don't, I, I don't have those conversations with her because I don't want to hurt her. I don't yeah. want to further hurt her. I don't want, and I don't also like, and by the off chance of maybe it does have an effect on her. I also don't want to like crumble her world in that right? way. Can you imagine if <laughs> no. she had a faith crisis at this point? Oh my God, no. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm the same way with my mom. It's like, well, you know, at this point she's given up too much. She's dedicated too much. She's. It's too late in her life. Right. Which even though I would be so happy if she could just live her life. I mean, I think a lot of us feel this way when we leave the church. We're like, oh my God, I need, I want everyone else in my life to have what I have. Right. But I think we do have to recognize that it's not always what's best for them. No. Because, you know, it's a survival thing almost at this point. At least for your mom. It is. It's her security blanket. Yeah. And I don't blame her for that. Yeah, not one bit. But I do, I'm like, I am sad over the fact that I can't necessarily have some of these conversations with her. Mm -hmm. 
not even about like church related stuff, but I can't like can't be like, well, going to the bar or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can't tell her what's going on in you your life. You sometimes. can't talk about your life fully, mm-hmm. and that makes me sad. That makes me very angry that the church. Can I also have wonder that. if like you could give her different advice if you could be fully. Mm-hmm fully authentic and honest with her Mm -hmm. I think your advice to her about her situation with your dad and stuff Mm -hmm. might be different you know it might be like uh you don't need a man to you know but like that's drilled into her oh yeah so much so that like she has to give up you know maybe not being loved fully in the way that she needs it or or wants it or deserves it yeah because she's sealed to this person, he's yeah. going to take her to heaven. That's her only shot. And divorce, I mean, I think about what she was hearing in the 80s and 90s particular. Oh, yeah. Divorce was a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. So my mom's a working mom. So she, of course, was terrible for being a working mom. Oh, yeah. And divorce <laughs> on top of that, I mean. Oh, yeah. It would just you don't be, do that. No. I don't know. And, you know, I wonder if she wasn't a part of the church, if she would be fighting as much to keep yeah. the marriage intact. Yeah, I wonder that too. You know, and yeah. and and even saying, "Mom, we do not, we don't blame either one of you." Yeah, this we don't blame if you guys don't stay together. Yeah. That is not something that is an issue for us. Divorce is not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, but I wonder if had she not grown up having this drilled into her head since she was a child. Yeah, family, marriage, pinnacle of your existence. Totally. <laughs> Totally. I remember having a conversation with my mom. My parents' marriage was terrible always. It just was never a happy marriage. And I remember having a conversation with my mom once saying, Mom, why are you guys still married? Like, it it makes no sense to me. Right. Like, logically, this makes no sense. Explain it to me. And she's like, I made a covenant. Right. And that's literally all she could say. Oh, yeah. She had no other explanation for it than I made a covenant. Right. But what was interesting is, like, because I had, I think at that point, I'd only had one sibling that had gotten a divorce. Mm -hmm. But I think that kind of, like, opened the door for my mom to think, hey, maybe divorce is not the worst thing in the world. Right. And eventually my parents did split. But, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, they stayed married for 31 years, I want to say. Something like that. And I can pretty much promise you that at least 30 of those years was terrible. Right. Like, they might have had a few days here and there. And over 31 years, maybe it includes, maybe it adds up to a year. Right. Of, like, happy times. Like, they were not happy. And I don't know. I think it is partly, like, our parents' generation and older generations that, like, they didn't have the expectation to be happy. Right. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, oh, yeah. like we do. Like, I yeah. think we're, we don't accept less than that right. most of the time. Well, like, marriage was a security for women. Yes, because they couldn't have anything if they right. weren't married. Yeah. So now that that's not so much. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think, like, we have more of an expectation that we're going to be happy. Yeah. And we're going to actually love the person we're married right. with, too. And I don't think that was in the cards for our parents and our grandparents like it didn't matter almost and like you said especially for mormon families you've made that covenant yeah yeah that's a big thing yeah and once you've done that there's you don't have any other well you can't change your mind about and that goes to that i i always hated the saying that endure to the end Mm -hmm. i hated that (laughs) saying it sounds so sad totally i mean how many families how many families are just enduring and gritting their teeth until yep. the end? Yep. Like, 
That's a terrible way to live. Totally. And that's not even adding, you know, any kind of complications. That's just yeah, life. It's life. <laughs> and then if you, yeah, and then if you have like where you're struggling in your own marriage, but you don't feel like there's a way out because this is forever. Mm-hmm. And to get a temple divorce has oh, to yeah. go to the first presidency. <laughs> yep. I mean, talk about not having autonomy over your own life. Oh yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Yeah. So I think I really sat in that that grief for a long time. I think I grieved over my own missed opportunities. Oh, yeah. Because I was definitely one that did not want to step out of line because I did not want to disappoint specifically my dad. Mm. Didn't want to disappoint him because I felt, you know, like I said earlier, consistently, I felt the most love from him when I was doing the right things in the church. Mm -hmm. And I think about that. I'm like, well... Because then his sacrifice was worth it. Mm-hmm. Because if we were if we were doing the things we needed to do, then I think him staying in the church and getting married and all that kind of stuff, it was worth it. Yeah. And so I think that plays a part of it of him um, really, I mean, I would just seek that validation. That validation was more important than anything else, honestly, I think, That's growing cool. up. And so when this all comes crashing down and you realize that, everything what you thought was complete bullshit you have you have to grieve over that totally <laughs> absolutely 100 yeah. percent. but i think after he came out i didn't really realize this at the time but it honestly it finally freed me up to make my own decisions about the church because hmm. yeah, you no longer had to be perfect for him yeah oh my gosh yeah that didn't matter anymore yeah. Because I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you could no longer judge me for my <laughs> things I do or don't do. Yeah. Um, and so it finally gave us the freedom to really make our own decisions where like, you know, the previous years I've been kind of hiding my inactivity mm. and kind of hit it and, you know, I was able to brush under the, uh, you know, um, sweep it under the rug because of trauma and then because of COVID. Yep. And now I can kind of be more forthright about it yeah. and no longer have to do any kind of pretending anymore. The burden of seeking validation from my dad in the church was gone. I could finally make decisions on what I thought was correct. And I think also I finally was able to really see the, and could personally testify of the harm that the church was causing yes to not just our family but to many families thousands of families yeah thousands of families are dealing with maybe a parent that has come out maybe a child that has come out Mm -hmm. you know you know maybe it's um a young single adult Mm -hmm. that is trying to decide like where they need to go in life and what they're the sad thing is is that these kids who are in college are still faced with the same dilemma my dad was faced with. Yeah. You know, they're still basically being told you can still receive your blessings if you live in a way that you're worthy of them. Yeah. Like they, like the church teaches, oh, well, now it's fine for you to say you're gay, but you just can't act like you're gay. They don't really want you to say that no, they don't. They, they don't, don't like the labels. About it. They yeah. don't like the labels. Don't label yourself. Oh, yeah. And they, they, they call it same sex attracted, which, which is such. <laughs> Nobody calls it that. <laughs> such bullshit. So maybe the church has changed in some ways. They don't, they no longer blame masturbation. Yeah. 
They no longer say that it's because you didn't come from a loving home mm-hmm. um, or it's the mom's fault because you were too close with your mother or you didn't yeah. have whatever. And I think that they're no longer teaching that it can change or that you can make it go away, right? No, as but... As far as I know, no, right? No, we can... Um, they're not. However, yeah. I feel like... So looking at when I was going through and doing some research and stuff, I was looking at the church's website. Mm-hmm. And if you go to the website, you know, the churchjesuschrist.org. <laughs> if Don't you, shorten the name. Whatever you do. Lord. <laughs> uh, if you if you go to their, their topics or whatever and you look at what they say about the queer community, mm-hmm. they have some spots about being transgender, which I'm sorry is terrible. It's really? awful. It's, what they say about it? Yeah, basically they have said you can have those blessings if you don't do anything surgically. Ah, uh, yeah, you can't transition. Right, they don't want you to transition. Right. Um, they also have stuff for, about those who are dealing with same-sex attraction, because that's what they call it. Suffering with same-sex attraction. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's the crazy thing. So when you look and it has like it has some spots for members, leaders, Family and friends and, you know, and they have stories. When you look under the leaders part of it and they have, why shouldn't leaders encourage heterosexual marriage for those who experience same-sex attraction or identify as gay? And they basically say, you know, we don't counsel this. Um, But here's what they say. You'll see in some of these experiences that are related on the site that it has been a successful experience in some cases or some have expressed the success they have found in marriage and in raising a family and in the joy and all that has filled out and bless their lives as a consequence. But that we know that that is not always true. And is not always successful. Sometimes it's even been disastrous. No shit, Sherlock. Wow, they said that? Sometimes it's even been disastrous? Christofferson said that. Oh. oh. No shit, Sherlock. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We think it's something that a person can evaluate and they can discuss both with priesthood leaders, families, and others and make decisions. But we simply don't take a uniform position on saying yes always or no always. So. Wow. Okay. They. Makes sense. Say. So they're saying no. Don't get married necessarily. But. But. You could. There are some people that are successful. Some people it works for. It's. You know. It's like the. You know in Dumb and Dumber. He's like. So there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) She's like. Um. We're like one in a million. That's, that's pretty much what the chances are there, right? One in a million? Yeah. But if so you, you're saying there's a chance. But if you go to their story section, this is what I think got my blood boiling. Because mm. this is why we're, there are still so many issues within the church, I think. Um, okay. Where they say, there's really no, you know, no, don't do this. Or live, you know, basically what they want you to do is they want you to live a celibate life. Mm-hmm. Because they're very clear in saying that uh, marriage is only between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you're married... To someone who's the same gender, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Yeah. That's, that's sexual it's not sin, in a temple. Right? Yeah. It's the sexual sin. And if you go to their member stories, they have four stories on there right now, which I think you've said they used to have more, right? Yeah. They used to have a lot. Yeah. Now there's only, there's four. Two of those stories are adults who are married to someone of the opposite gender. Okay. So I look and say, if I was someone who was, you know struggling with same-sex attraction like they like to call it (laughs) Mm -hmm. um 
if I was a member, if I was a young adult and I was realizing I had feelings for someone of the same gender and I was to go to this website mm-hmm. and I was to look at these stories and two of the four stories are people who are, who say they won't even, but they won't even, they won't even use the label if they're gay or bisexual, which oh, I think really? is, I okay. think is very That's important. important. Yeah. Because it's one thing if someone is bisexual and in a marriage. Right. Versus someone who is gay and in a marriage. But they won't, they don't want to label. Mm -hmm. So you don't know what these people's sexual orientations are. Mm. Maybe they're pansexual. Yeah, they're just not straight. Right. That's the only thing we know about these stories. That's the only thing we know. But two of the stories are people that are married to the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. And they have the story of that person. They have the story of their spouse. And one of them has, you know, like they've, they've got like the bishop's perspective on there. And I was reading all of it. And I'm just like, this is actually very harmful. But, you know, and I think about someone who is trying to figure out where do they go? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I have feelings for someone of the same sex. Where mm-hmm. do I go? If I look at this, mm-hmm. they may say we don't encourage marriage. But when your two stories mm-hmm. here are people that are married, what are you supposed to think? Yeah, and they definitely like tell the story with rose-colored glasses. Like hundred percent, they're telling about how happy they are together, right? And right? how this has been faith building. Yes. And then they have another story. This is the only one where like their son has left the church, mm. but they do not talk about. Like, they don't have his side of the story. Oh, yeah. It's mom only and the parents. Yeah. yeah. Mom and dad's side of the story. It's the Macintoshes, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. They don't. And she's ha- written a book and, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But they don't have his side of the story. Now, whether they asked and he, I doubt they asked him for his story because he's left. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found it pretty infuriating at the end of his dad's thing where he said they want, I feel like the church made sure this was made, this was a point that... He said, we, he did not, we were not going to be leaving the church over this. And the son said, well, I don't expect you to. Mm-hmm. They, I feel like they made a point to make sure totally. that was in there. Yep. And then the last story was somewhat of a young man who's not married. Yeah. Who wants to be active in the church. And so. He's living celibate. Mm-hmm. So what are your options? Those are shitty options. Right. If you look at the church, if you are trying to get guidance from the church. And should we place bets on how many of those stories turn out in the end? Seriously. Like, good, like Seriously. those couples stay married or that kid stays celibate? Yeah, right. right. Well, that's why I used, like, there used to be more. You can only do that so long. Right. Yeah. You, there used to be more, but mm-hmm. they no longer have them on there. Yeah, I swear there used to be like 30 different stories on there. Right. Well, they used to have a whole website about... Yeah, like, mormonandgay.org. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, I mean, that's a victory for Satan to say Mormon <laughs> or gay. <laughs> If you're going to identify as a gay member, please make sure you say Church so of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and same-sex attracted. <laughs> That's more than gay. Satan. <laughs> oh, my God. So ridiculous. Anyways. So, for my dad, I mean, all the talks, I think, right now, they emphasize prayer, temple worship, church attendance, fasting, and repentance, right? Mm, yep. They still talk about repentance as if you need to repent of this. Uh-huh. Like, I don't even know what to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think for my dad, he, being a young person, I think he got married to my mom in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. No access to any kind of support group. No. Only in a Mormon-dominant community. 
Yeah. What was he supposed to do? Right. Like be exiled because you can be exiled for leaving the church and, and, and not yeah. be part of the queer community. Yeah. So to have be away from the church and a part of the queer community, like yep. in the seventies and eighties, like you were going to have nobody, you would lose everything. You would lose everything, you know, and, um, his salvation totally at stake. Oh yeah. You know, if he didn't marry in the temple, that was all at stake. So, and I think he probably maybe felt the same way I did for a lot of years. A lot of years, I maybe didn't agree with a lot of things, but that that nagging doubt of like, well, what if it's true? Right, right. <laughs> what if it's true? Yeah. Then I've blown it. Yeah, because the people who are able to step away from the church and live their authentic life, they first had to recognize that the church might be wrong. Right. So if you believe that the church is right, Mm -hmm. that you can't do that. Like you, well, you very can't easily do that. Right. Is stepping away and living an authentic life. You just go along with what the things are because they're like, this is the right path. This is what I'm supposed to do. So it's like something has to happen that makes you question the church and whether it's true first. Don't you think? Yeah. In order to fully let yourself live your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, when I kind of sat there and, and we're thinking about this and I thought about the constant fear my dad was in. Uh-huh. I think the constant fear, even for my mom, to raise this family up the way she was supposed to raise it. You know, paying their tithing no matter what and Ugh. all these sacrifices, you know. Yeah. And I really kind of started really thinking about that. And Eventually, what I came to understanding was, for me, the church, walking away from the church eventually became the easiest decision of my life. And mm. because it was no longer about if the church was true or not. Mm. Um, the church had devastated my family. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Oh, it definitely doesn't give a shit. It doesn't give a shit that I sat there and I'm like, what if I could have lunch with one of them and tell, and tell our story, my family's story? Mm-hmm. What would they say? They'd probably give that smile and that nod and talk in the cadence that they talk in general conference Mm -hmm. and tell me that if I was to live my life and to be faithful, it will all work out when we die. Yeah, which is totally invalidating and infuriating. Right? Because they can't possibly actually have empathy and compassion for what people are going through as a direct result of the teachings of the gospel. If you really, truly cared about the people that you are basically responsible for, Uh you would have a different attitude. You would have a different, you would not be calling people the names that they have called the queer community. Yeah. Um, You would not put them in a position where they felt if they didn't get married to someone that Uh they would lose everything. Uh Mm-hmm. And for me, that's when I think it became less about if the church was true or not and more about if I died and this is all true, the Mormon God is true. Yeah. I feel like that God has more to answer for than I do. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's so accurate. I think I have lived as best as I can and and the circumstances I've been under. Mm -hmm. And if a God cannot understand why I chose to walk away from the church after all of this, seeing the pain it has inflicted on my mom and my dad, Uh if 
you cannot understand that, you have more to answer for. Totally. And he already does. Because yeah. how can you how can you create these children and then hate them? <laughs> yeah. How can you For who they are, yeah. For who, what you've created them to mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you explain yourself for that? Yeah. How do you tell people basically it's almost impossible to come back to you? Mm-hmm. Because I could not do that as a parent. No. That's I, not infinite love. That's not that's not a parental love. No. No. It no. just doesn't even add up. It doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. And the leaders, you know, they they say they preach compassion. They say they preach love. Mm-hmm. They also say that they are a mouthpiece to God. So you're oh, telling me yeah. that God is calling his people perverted, blasphemous, telling them that if they're gay, they're not manly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're, you're really... Why t- is manly the goal anyways? Sorry, but that's stupid. Like, that's just a stupid, patriarchal, bullshit thing to say anyways. Yes, yes. Right? Oh, yeah. What is manly, and why is it important to be that? Sorry, as a man, like, I'm sorry. Our whole idea of masculinity is fucked up, too. Anyways. Well, and that's, you know, and so for me, when I look at it and I say, you know what? I I feel like I have less to answer for. I feel like I feel like I can hold my I can hold my head up high in the end and say I did everything I could. Yeah. And when I realized that the amount of pain that this is causing everybody, I had to walk away because I had to break this cycle for my family. Yep. And I also realized too that I don't have to forgive the church for this. No. I don't have to. You know, the church is very toxic about you have to forgive everybody. Uh-huh. But I'm sorry, part of the, the forgiveness process is the person who did you wrong has to apologize. Right. Um, the church won't do that. There has been no apology for people like my dad who no. spent their entire life living in fear. There has been no apology to the kids who don't have real relations with their parents because they're hiding their sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. There have been no apologies to the families who have lost family members to a suicide because their family member felt that it was better for them to be dead mm-hmm. to, than to be part of the queer community. Totally. The church has not apologized for any of that. Nope. They make excuses. Right. Like the altitude is what Oh my God, yes. Um, why this the teen suicide, suicide rate is so high in Utah yeah. is because... Because of the altitude. The altitude. I'm, <laughs> the church makes no apology for it. So and They even, will never own up. They Because they can't admit fault. That's no, what it is. Because if they admit fault, then they're wrong. Right, right. And they can't admit they're wrong. Yeah. So instead, they dig their heels in. Yeah. Even if they did one day apologize, I still don't have to forgive them. No. Nobody does. No. Right. Forgiveness is never a requirement. No. I think you can... People, I think, were always very... If you don't re, if you don't forgive, then it's just going to eat you alive. Yeah. And maybe it does for some people. And maybe forgiveness of the church for whatever reason, even if it's, you know, other trauma... That the church has caused. Mm-hmm. Maybe that is a part of your journey. And I think if that's a healthy way for you to move on, that's yeah, great. Um, that's fine. I But you don't it have to. It doesn't have to be everybody's experience. And yeah. you, it won't. It, I don't feel like it eats me alive that I don't no. forgive the church. Yeah. For me, it's been more of a journey of compassion, like true compassion. Mm-hmm. And also understanding that I could never change the church from the inside. But the more that people can speak up about their stories, I think that is what's going to eventually totally create more change. 
Yeah. And I think that's a big reason why I even do this podcast at yeah. all is because I really felt like it was important to speak up, tell yeah. these stories, have people know the damage that's been done. Yeah. And even if only a few people listen to it, that's fine. I'm not, you know, I think a lot of these podcasts and TikTok is a huge thing mm-hmm. in the ex-Mormon world and mm-hmm. stuff. And I think it's it, it can be incredibly cathartic and healing yeah. for us to share our stories, mm-hmm. to validate each other, mm-hmm. to feel like we're less alone, mm-hmm. like other people understand us and we understand them. Like mm-hmm. my, my ability to empathize and my compassion towards people has exponentially increased, right? Yeah. Because when I was in the church, it was always like, well, you know, that's what you get. Do better. That do better. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, that's just what happens. That's the consequence. You, you know, when you make a, when you make a choice, you live with the consequence. I mean, that was always my justification for it. Even though I always thought of myself as a compassionate or empathetic person, it did not compare to the empathy and compassion that I feel now that is way more genuine. Right. And real of like the like of real human suffering mm-hmm. that I actually do genuinely care about, and mm-hmm. not for any not with any ulterior motive of like right. oh they need God in their lives right. we should help them or save them right, right? this savior complex right. This, this whole like oh it's so sad that they have such hard things but they've made bad choices so maybe I right. should show them a, a better way to live right. like that's such <laughs> bullshit. No, and I think for me it's been the it's it's been the same. I think being able to hear other people's stories, you realize like you said you're not alone. And I think yeah. that in the end that's why coming on here was important because I haven't heard. I'm sure there are stories people out there being verbal about yeah. being a child of a parent that's come out. Um, I haven't heard them. But I haven't either. But I don't listen to all the podcasts. Yeah, neither do I. Right? And I'm sure they're there, but they're not um, They're not frequent. Yeah. And I wish, like, if nothing else, I just wish I could be like, you're not alone. Yeah. And there's no perfect way to deal with all of this. Whether yes. whatever, If you're leaving the church, if you left the church, if you have questions about the church, everybody's path is different. Yeah. And everybody can have um, those ups and downs and different emotions and... It's not linear. It's all over the place. Yeah. But in the end, you're not alone. Right. There's people out there that are feeling the same thing as you. Even if you feel like you are the only person that has felt this way or gone through an experience with a church that has, what they what do they boast, like 16 million people or whatever? Yeah, supposedly. Yeah. Right? Supposedly. Like, yeah. there's people out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. That have experienced the same yeah. things. Yeah. It's... it's unbelievable the the pain and suffering and i think the idea in the church is that we have to do it right right meaning like you know you have to have a good enough reason to leave the church or and and also no reason is good enough right right in terms of that me just not like it yeah right and like when i left the church i remember even saying to my therapist like I have to do this right. I have to. I have to lead right. in the right way. Mm-hmm. But what what I, that made me think of that is you saying like, "Hey, you're gonna go through a whole a whole spectrum of emotions, and all of it's okay." Yeah. And there's not one right or wrong way to grieve or you know to yeah. process what you've been through or to deconstruct the gospel and your whole life. 
um, learning that it's a giant lie and all this stuff, you know, like that, that messes with people in a lot of different ways. And I've seen a lot of different ways of people dealing with it. And I think it's really beautiful to be able to share your story. Mm -hmm. Your story is really compelling and really unique, but also not. Do you know what I mean? There's so many people I know are probably out there when I think about just the society at large, mm-hmm. plus the church on top of it, I know there are so many people out there, yeah. whether they know it or not, yeah. not everybody knows it, that they have a parent who is gay, bisexual, yep. lesbian. Queer in some way. Right. And maybe they know it, maybe they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that I think, um, I hope more people can talk about because it's, yeah. it's, it's a hard, it's a taboo topic, I think, for a lot of people. But, you know, that damage is there and it's real and it's okay. Like, it's okay to be angry over it. It's okay yeah. to, I think some of my siblings have had an easier time with it than me and that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, I think they've been able to, but they've had a different experience growing up. We all right. have a unique experience. So that's where yeah. it's, however you, you know, however you experience leaving the church for whatever reason, it's not wrong because we all have our own backgrounds and history and issues and it's all okay you know for me it was less about doctrinal issues that's become more secondary for me yeah as I've learned more about those yep but for me it was more about the emotion of it and the trauma of it and the hurt of it my husband it was more about the doctrinal issues yeah you know I'm like probably one of the few people who have left the Mormon church that have has not read the CES letter (laughs) (laughs) yeah I haven't read it because in the end it didn't really it, it didn't really matter, matter for me. Yeah. <laughs> My exactly. husband I think has read it, but it didn't matter to me. Yeah, it's for me it was very validating to read it because yeah. I had already decided I was out yeah. by the time I read it. But yeah, I mean it's yeah it, in some ways it's not important for everyone to read it. Right. That's not what everybody's uh, journey is going right. to be. But yeah, I think it's beautiful. I have really loved having this conversation with you and having you on. I. We could totally probably talk for two more hours. <laughs> We've been talking for almost two hours. And we are, we had, I think we said that we already had a two hour lunch before <laughs> this. So, so my, I always like there, it's just this running joke with my husband that, you know, I'll say to him, oh yeah, she talks a lot because it's really me <laughs> that talks a lot. He knows like, oh yeah, everyone you're with talks a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sure they do, because I'm the one that talks a lot most of the time. Four hours later. Yeah, four hours later, and I'll just be like, oh, honey, it was her fault. She talks a lot. Well, like you said, we get to, I mean, you can talk about church issues till the end of time. Yeah. It's yeah, just, because they're never ending. Yeah. They're never ending. Yeah. And it's so fascinating. To me, I love it. Yeah. I love I love this, and I love your story, and I love, I love that we got to know each other. I know, it's been so fun. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you came and visited, and she came to my house from out of state, but you were already here anyways. I was but already still. here visiting the motherland. Yes, yes, the motherland of Utah. So, so much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I guess we'll just close this out now, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.